Hey fellow album divers, Trevor here, and before we get into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to let Kevin and Steve introduce their podcast called Music Crush Mondays. It's a really cool concept that challenges themselves and the listeners to avoid some of the pitfalls that we all find ourselves falling into, maybe listening to a music act that we've heard of before but never really gave a fair shot. Check it out. My name is Steve. And my name's Kevin. And we are the hosts of the Music Crush Monday podcast, the podcast where two friends listen and discuss a band that one of us loves each and every single Monday. And we keep the band a mystery until after the first song has been played. We keep it a mystery so that way we can take away any preconceived thought you may have about a band or artist. And then you give the song an actual listen. We do this so we can remove the name and you can purely focus on the music and hopefully find a band that you otherwise would have written off and not listened to. So come hang out with us each and every Monday. Check out our website, musiccrushmonday.com, and follow us and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And as always, my friend Steve, we'll see you next Monday. And now, on to the show. Welcome to Album Divers. This is a podcast created by two music lovers who still remember listening to albums from start to finish the way the artists intended. We give history, track-by-track analysis, and delve into the music lyrics of some of the best albums of the past and today. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Welcome to Album Divers. I'm Trevor. And I'm Shane. On this podcast, we take turns choosing albums to discuss and review. One of us chooses an album from this calendar year, and the other chooses an album that's been around a while. All right, Trevor, what album did you pick for us to review today? Today we'll be discussing Andy Schaff's new album, Neon Skyline, that was released this year, January of 2020. Somewhere between drunkenness and chivalry, I hold the door open and let her pass through. She says thanks to me in a British accent. And I trade into her in the same voice She laughs at me, says what was that supposed to be? I say I'm sorry I'm from a different part of the country She says come on baby, try again Come on baby, try again Awesome, let's get into it so, have you heard of Andy Schaff prior to this? No, this was my first time. He was on my radar from 2016, releasing an album called The Party. And I listened to it a little bit. It just didn't initially grab me. But I think it's one I definitely need to go back and listen to more because that was the album that really catapulted him to some critical acclaim and, and got him some notoriety. And then this one followed up that one. Yeah, I read about that album, too. It sounds like it was a concept album as well. Yeah, so we hadn't gotten into it yet, but this one is also a concept album, so it's been two in a row that he's done that are that format. Without trying to, I've kind of been the concept album guy here, starting off with Field Music's concept album and, and now this one, but I started listening to a little bit of it and read the background of it and thought this would be a really fun one for us to discuss. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. It was almost like you're being told a story from track one through the finish of the album, which was a little different variation of a concept album compared to field music where all the songs were, were based on a general theme or topic. This one, all the songs were connected and there was a, 
story with characters and and a flow to it that really felt like you're reading a novel but in in the form of an album through song yeah that's true at the very least different format you're right the the field music one was a theme and then it had some abstract ideas and songs based on that and this one really is just like a story yeah i thought it was a really great album overall it was a good introduction to andy schaff and i'm, I'm looking forward as well to go back and check out some of his older albums why don't you give us a little rundown on his history and uh, what you dug up with his background before we get into the track by track yeah, sure. This is going to be a pretty quick one, but let me just give you a little background on Andy Schaff. He's a Canadian artist. He was born in Estevan, Saskatchewan in 1987, later moved to Regina. Saskatchewan. That's, Saskatchewan. A, cool, that's a cool city. <laughs> I know. I just like to say the word. His, uh, his parents owned an electronics and music store that gave him access to a variety of instruments. Yeah, I read that. That's really cool. Yeah. He, he was initially a drummer for a Christian pop punk band. Mm -hmm. until 2006 they were called captain and then after that he started making his own music and he released his first solo album in 2009 and that was a album called darker days he followed that record with an ep called waiting for the sun and sam jones feeds his demons in 2010 and 2012 respectively and then also in 2012 he released his second full-length album called the bearer of bad news and that was released independently in 2015, he signed with Arts and Crafts Productions and began touring with the Lumineers as an opening act. Are you familiar with the Lumineers? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I saw that. That's pretty cool. That must have been fun for him to do. And then we referenced earlier his album, The Party, that was released in May of 2016 after a move from Saskatchewan to Toronto. He did some experimental recording with some other musicians for the album, but he ended up re-recording just about every single track all by himself before he released it. And this becomes a theme with him for the album that we're about to review today as well. Also in 2016, his song called Wendell Walker from the Bearer of Bad News album was nominated for a SoCan Songwriting Prize, which is an annual competition showcasing Canadian music. And then the album The Party was also a finalist for the 2016 Polaris Music Prize, which is another award given to the best full-length Canadian album annually. In 2018, he recorded an album with the Regina Saskatchewan band called Fox Warren, which was self-titled. This I found really interesting. The band was made up of these brothers Avery and Daryl Kissick and their friend Dallas Bryson, these were college friends that started playing together after they, they discovered that they all had a mutual fondness for the band Pedro the Lion. Oh, so I've got wow. another another connection to um, yeah. when I was at my high school band that got to open for Pedro the Lion, so I thought that was really interesting. This album received a Juno nomination award, which is another Canadian music award for album of the year in the Juno Awards of 2020. And he cites influences as Elliot Smith, Wilco, Neil Young, Paul Simon is the one that stood out the most to me. That, that's what I thought the most when I first started listening to this album. Yeah, I heard a lot of Paul Simon in a few of the songs. Yeah, and then I also heard a little bit of Jimmy Buffett. So those were the yeah. influences that stood out for me. Yeah, I can see that. And Paul Simon, as I mentioned, was the most obvious one to me. And I heard an interview that asked him which song he wishes that he would have written. And he mentioned 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. I was nice. uh, proud of myself for picking out Paul Simon in his music i want to go back and talk about his parents owning that music store yeah yeah and electronics i read that a lot of the unsold equipment 
would end up in their house. So he would just play around with it. And then he learned how to play the guitar and the piano and the bass and the drums and even the clarinet. And yeah, clarinets featured heavy on this album. Yeah. And that er early in his musical career, he was playing with that band and then he decided he wanted to start putting some music together by himself, which is why he set up that studio in his parents' basement. I assume he was playing all the different parts and then piecing it together. Is he doing that on, on this album too, or does he have a band yeah. that's that's playing with him? This is this is all him. And once he goes out on stage, he's got a... Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, he'll, he'll have to take a touring band with him, but mm -hmm. everything in the studio, the, you know, hear the background vocals, that's him. Right, Every yeah. instrument is him. Yeah, I read that too, that he had his band that toured with him, but that he, he liked arranging all the all the parts and doing the whole song himself. And so I, I assume that the studio tracks he had totally created. Yeah, I was watching an interview with him where he mentioned that he does all the production himself, and the interviewer asked him if he thought someday maybe he would break from that and have some other musicians come into the studio, and he said... He said, you know, that's probably a good idea at some point to let somebody else get in there and do this. There's a lot of talented musicians and many more talented than me on certain instruments. But he said his process is such a personal, alone thing, and he finds himself coming up with ideas. And he says it's just easier for him to figure out a way to do it himself than to try to communicate what's in his head to somebody else. Yeah. Well, it works. He puts out some good music. That's my abbreviated background on him, and then just to give a little synopsis before we lead into this album, it was released in January 24th of this year, 2020, and as we mentioned, like its predecessor, The Party, it's another concept album. The framework of this album is fairly simple. It's a guy that calls up his buddy to go out and get a drink at their favorite bar, and then as they're drinking, he learns that his ex is back in town. And from there, he starts to get lost in these memories of her, and then out of nowhere, she, she shows up. I did want to mention that between his last album and this album, Neon Skyline, he pulled a Shane, and he cut off <laughs> all his long hair. So if you look at some <laughs> pictures of him prior to yeah. this release, he's got this beautiful long Shane hair. I saw some of and that. And now he's, uh, he's cut it off. So I don't know if he It might have even been better than mine. I don't know. That's hard, that. that's hard to do. That's hard yeah. to do. <laughs> he also talked about with this album, he just said, I end up writing about what I know. And he said that this is a, a true story in a sense, not the characters in the background, but, but the bar itself. He said that he was spending a lot of time going to a bar called the Skyline. So not the neon Skyline, but the Skyline. And he just sort of constructed this story around the time he was spending in that bar. Yeah, that's cool. I also wanted to mention, I thought this was incredible. So this album contains 11 tracks, and it comes in just at 34 minutes, so not a real long album. But he actually wrote over 50 tracks for this album. Really? 50 tracks. Wow, I didn't read that. And he selected the best ones that he thought told the story. Just to set the scene a little bit before we jump into the track by track, there's, there's five characters in this story. The first one is the narrator who is nameless. You, you learn a lot about all these characters, narrator as well, but we never know the narrator's name. Narrator's best friend, Charlie. Rose, the bartender. Their mutual friend, Claire. And then, of course, his ex-girlfriend, Judy. And so that sets the stage for the album. Yeah, it's a really cool concept how he 
incorporated those those characters and the storylines and integrated them throughout the various tracks from start to finish while also reflecting on a lot of his own personal thoughts as well so there's kind of this omniscient narrator who's also interacting with the various characters and they play a role too in the storytelling and some of the lines of the songs going back and forth yeah definitely with that narrator and some of the dialogue yeah it's a really cool concept the party which i want to go back and listen to more was a little bit different as well every song on that album was like a different narrator so you would you would listen to a song by one character and you get their perspective on maybe something that happened at this party and then the next song would be you are now a different narrator i thought that Mm. was pretty cool yeah well should we get into the track by track of this album yeah let's get started let's do it the first song is the title song this song is called neon skyline I called up Charlie about a quarter past nine and said, what's going on tonight? He said, no plans, but I wouldn't mind holding a lighter head tonight. I said, come to the skyline, I'll be washing my sins away. All right, so with the first track, we meet three of those five characters that I mentioned before. We've got the narrator right out of the gate. We end up meeting Charlie, we end up meeting Rose, the, the bartender. So it starts with the narrator in his apartment, giving Charlie a call, saying, hey, let's go get a drink. Yeah, I like the way he said, no plans, but I wouldn't mind holding a lighter head tonight. That's a clever way of saying, yeah, sure, let's go have a drink. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was going to ask you about that. So hold a lighter head, I guess I took that just to be a phrase for like, let's go do something that's a little bit more low-key and lighthearted. Is that where you took that phrase to mean? Uh, I, I looked at it as more of a way of saying he wouldn't mind getting some of the weight off of his shoulders or, or clearing his head a little bit. That there's something kind of heavy on his mind. Let's go out and have a drink and just do something a little lighter so we, you know we can not be so serious or something. You know, maybe he just wants to get out of the house, doesn't want to be alone in his head thinking, let's just go have a beer and do something lighter tonight. Yeah, that the phrase seems to fit that, and I figured it was just something I had never heard before, so I was Googling that, and the first two things that come up are this album. Oh, really? Yeah, so I put, uh, what did I, how did I say it? I think I just said, hold a lighter head is what I wrote. Yeah, I don't think it's a very common phrase. It must not be. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that in conversation in my life, but it's a clever way of, you know, responding to somebody asking what you want to do for the night. So he calls him up and, and you get a little insight into the life of the narrator. He is sort of rushing out the door. He's trying to find something to eat, opens up the fridge. There's nothing in there. So he just puts some butter on some toast and he's eating it while he's running out the door, which in retrospect, you find out is kind of a funny thing to do because as Charlie promised, he ends up being late anyway. So narrator gets to the bar right. early, ends up waiting for Charlie to arrive anyway. And then you get a little bit of insight into the narrator's backstory as you meet Rose, because right when he sits down, Rose cracks open a beer and sets it right in front of him. So Andy Schaff does a good job already of subtly telling you some hints about who this guy is. Clearly, he's somebody that frequents this place a lot, the Neon Skyline a lot, enough so at least that the bartender not only knows who he is, knows what he's drinking, for mm-hmm. better or for worse. She just opened up a cold can and set it down in front of me. So I like how Andy Schaff puts little tidbits in there that, over the course of this album, end up revealing more and more about those characters. Yeah, and then halfway through the song, we get introduced 
to another character, Judy, his ex-girlfriend, as he reminisces on the times that she used to come to that bar with him. That's true. In a way, we even though we don't meet her yet, they, they talk about four of those five characters right away in this first song. Mm-hmm. And then Charlie walked in a little later, as he said yep. he would be late. Right. And just like you get some insight into who the narrator is, you immediately understand a little bit about Charlie as he orders a Merlot at a bar. And yeah. gets the bartender laughing at him a little bit. This comes up later in the album. Yeah. What a classy guy. I mean, nothing wrong with drinking wine at a bar, but... Yeah, it's at least something that if, you, if you're going out with friends, you're going to get ribbed for a little bit. Yeah. Right out of the gate with this song, as I mentioned before, I'm hearing Paul Simon all over it. Yeah, I got that vibe for sure. Something about the phrasing, and as you're reading through the lyrics of this album as a whole, I'm sure you were struck by it as well, but in contrast to what we were describing with the Jason Isbell album, where you mentioned how important it is to rhyme everything, Andy Schaff rhymes almost nothing in this album yeah, it really does right. just sound like somebody that's writing out a story rather than a song if you were reading these you you wouldn't think this is a song the phrasing is a little bit rushed but it gives it kind of a cool feel almost like it's about ready to unravel on itself but somehow it stays together yeah i find it interesting you said he had about 50 tracks written before finally putting this album together because i i found i found a, a quote of him talking about this song that hits on a couple of the points that, that we've mentioned already. He said, this was one that I wrote pretty early in the batch. I've always listened to a lot of Paul Simon. I just like the way he phrases things. So I was kind of trying to learn from that a little. This song kind of gave me the idea for what I was going to do with the record. There was a point halfway through where I thought I was going to scrap the whole Skyline story. And I started to just write about this character, Judy. So I wrote a different song that was going to be the theme song for the record, but ultimately it came back to this one. So it sounds like he was playing around with a bunch of characters and storylines and trying to to put this album together with all those tracks, the 50 tracks that you said he had before he finalized everything. I assume that would be similar to a writer coming up with all their characters for a novel and trying to, to put the different chapters and the stories together and how you're going to cut some stuff and change some things until it works well, which maybe maybe was the, the driving force behind uh, this album construction. Yeah. I would think that would be almost a painful way to write an album, but clearly there's something about it that gives him inspiration if he's done something similar to that twice in a row. But man, to have to come up with 50 songs in order to pull something out... Or maybe that just comes mm-hmm. natural to him. Maybe he's writing songs all the time, and then it's within all that writing that he goes, oh, I'm seeing a theme here, and then puts them together. Maybe some of the other ones that he scrapped for this might end up coalescing together in some other theme going forward. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, do you think they were all songs that had music put to them as well, or maybe just some lyrics, some poems, or I guess not poems, we said he doesn't rhyme, but just some some stanzas that he put down, some short stories uh, that related to this overall message or theme that he was trying to write about or write around and didn't actually put down music to all 50 of those songs because that would be a lot of work just to narrow it down to 11. Yeah, it's a good question. I didn't read it in that much detail. I just had read that he had written 50 songs for this album, but I mm-hmm. yeah, wonder in what state all of those were in or if they got to the full song version by sure. the end of it or not. 
Yeah. And then this is the one, too, that made me think about Jimmy Buffett for some reason. I don't know for sure why. It just had kind of an island sound, something about the way mm. those guitars were sliding on those little bridge parts made yeah, me think yeah. of Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, so yeah. Hearing the little Mar- Margaritaville on it. Probably the... Yeah, definitely. And the yes, yeah, and the do 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 do. Yeah, all of those things together. Yeah, that's a little Jimmy Buffett-esque island sound to it. Definitely. All right, I'm glad I'm not the only one was feeling that in this song. Yeah, I can dig it. Yeah, it's a cool song. Nice, nice opening track. You want to go on to number two? Yeah, number two is titled "Where Are You, Judy." starts that song out with a nice clarinet solo i really like that part me too that's the thing that stood out to me the most right out of the gate with this one too and it fit the lyrics to me because it starts off with a memory up to this point it's been all present tense in the story and the clarinet part sounded like an old movie that instrumental that would maybe precede a flashback Mm -hmm. yeah like a time warp or something learn at this point that Judy used to live in that town that he's still stuck in and that the big city seemed to be calling her and that's what took her away. Yeah, the city lights dazzled you away from me. He says, I think we both knew that's how it would be. And then suddenly from there, he's dragged right back into the present with Charlie sitting to his left saying, hey, did you know Judy's back in town? Yeah, so he was already thinking about her at the bar before Charlie said, hey, did you know she's back in town? Right. I wonder if that's why he wanted to get out and have a drink. Yeah, it sounds like he already had Judy on the mind, and then all of a sudden Charlie pulls him out of his daydreaming into the reality that Judy's actually here. Mm-hmm. I like on the chorus where he says, I only miss her when the skies are above. At least he's got the self-awareness to say he realizes that he's still pining over her because clearly, sure. as a listener, you know, the sky's always above. There was something that stood out to me in the the lyrics, and I didn't know if there was a significance to it, but there's a line where he says, and now Charlie's in my left ear, blowing my mind again, telling me how Judy's in town. But then later he says, and now I'm in my left ear, telling you lies again. Do I pretend that I know all the shit that I did, and I know how I could fix it? I wish we could start again. I think we would understand. Is there some significance to the left ear? I'm in my left ear. Charlie's in my left ear, and now I'm in my left ear. Is there something significant about the left ear? I, I think that the less metaphorical part is I, I just think Charlie's sitting on his left. So I think that's it's Charlie in his left ear. I think that really is just putting you in the bar, and you can yeah. see that Charlie's sitting to his left. And then with That's what I thought. But now, then he says, now I'm in my left ear, so that wouldn't make sense from a positional standpoint. 
Yeah, so so I think when he says, I'm in my left here, that might just mean that he's blocking Charlie out and he's hearing his own inner voice at that point. He's talking to himself now. Talking, okay. He's talking to himself. Yeah. So he's reasoning, saying, you, you know, I, maybe we can fix this. Maybe we can start over. Mm-hmm. She probably, if I explain things now that Judy's back, maybe she'd get it. We could just pick up where we left off. Yeah. And then he just goes off into this daydream of saying, where are you, Judy? Oh, where are you, Judy? And uh, yeah, almost like he's just blocking out Charlie. Once Charlie said Judy was in town, he probably kept talking, but the narrator was in his head. It was almost like he was just completely blocking him out and probably having lots of thoughts across his mind, wondering if he'd he'd pass by her, what he would say, whether they'd pick things back up and why she's back in town, what's going on there. Andy has a quote about this song saying, Judy is like that ex that was super fun, but you can point to a lot of things that happened that were little red flags or hints of what was going to happen. She's someone that you kind of never got over. Mm-hmm. So he's a, he does a good job of making things really relatable. Sure. Everybody's been to a bar with Buddy. Everybody's pined over an ex. So he does a good job of making these characters pretty relatable. Yeah, definitely. You can put yourself in either one of their shoes and think about the scenery, what, what the night might have been like, the atmosphere, the vibe. And then he stays in present tense for the third song. Track three is called Clove Cigarette. Clove Cigarette, Andy uses the concept of smell and memories both for the narrator of the album and for him personally to evoke memories based on the narrator being outside smelling this clove cigarette that Rose is smoking. Yeah, it's almost like it reminded him of a time with Judy when when, uh, one of them must have been smoking clove cigarettes. It doesn't say why this reminds him of Judy, but it says it takes me back to your summer dress, so it puts him in a particular time of the year in the summer. There's these, sounds like lawn chairs or outdoor furniture, green plastic table and chairs. She's wearing a summer dress, and we learn Judy has blonde hair. He says you toss your golden hair, so puts you back just like the narrator is in a moment that he had had with Judy in the summer, smelling that clove cigarette. Yeah, I saw in an interview, Andy said, honestly, I wanted to stop writing about smoking because I feel like it's cliched. But then, you know, you're standing outside of a bar and someone's smoking a clove and you're like, ooh, what is that cinnamony smell? For me, smelling a clove cigarette always takes me back to a really specific time in my life when I was living in Regina and trying to quit cigarettes by smoking clove cigarettes, which were delicious and really bad for you. (laughs) (laughs) I read that too. (laughs) We've mentioned in past podcasts that we're both physical therapists. We both have done some extensive training in the orthopedic setting, and I know you and I both have classmates in the neuro setting. I wondered what your memory was like, no pun intended, of the thalamus and the (laughs) 
hippocampus and amygdala and all the things that might relate smell to memory. Do you remember that from all your neuro? Um, yeah, probably somewhere stored in your hippocampus. <laughs> See, you remember enough to know that. <laughs> I ha- I had to look it up, so I'm not sure. Smell bypasses the thalamus and goes right to the olfactory bulb, which is connected to the amygdala, which is responsible for emotions, and then the hippocampus has that major role in learning and memory. So that's why smell can take you back to a moment, and and that's what Andy Schaff is talking about, smelling these cigarettes and why he's taking him right back to that time with Judy. I can relate to that too. I know there's there's lots of different smells that might remind you of a of a time in your life or put you back somewhere. This reference to a bar, being out smelling the the smoke or some cigar smoke, or even out in nature, different places. You go for a hike and you're out in the mountains and you smell that fresh air. Or different regions of the country, different times of the year. There's certain smells that just remind you of of past experiences. In the chorus, he says. You take some steps forward and some steps back, and it just doesn't matter because I'm on track. It sounds like he's reasoning with himself that it doesn't really matter that he's still going to the same bar and doing some of the same things because there's going to be points where you're moving forward and some where you're moving backwards, but he feels like his life is still moving in the right direction. Yeah, is, is he is he referring to how he felt during the time that he's bringing up this memory, or is that chorus back to the present time? I took it to be back to the present time, like maybe he's, and he does it in some other songs where he's talking himself out of alcohol being a problem in his life and being out in the bar late and doing his thing and remembering Judy. And it sounds like I, I picture Judy going off to the big city, maybe to go to college or to do something with her life and him being back in the small town, still going to the same bar. And when he thinks about her off doing whatever she's doing, then he comes back to his present and thinks, but I'm still doing good. It doesn't matter because I'm still on track. You take you take some steps forward and some steps backward. It's all good. Yeah, I see that. And maybe he maybe he mostly believes that or partly believes that, but doesn't quite believe it entirely, so he wants to tell himself every once in a while. I wish I knew enough about what constitutes a waltz to be able to tell you for sure this song Mm -hmm. is a waltz. I think it is. I was read that a waltz is in three four time and it has that kind of like mm bop bop mm bop bop sound. Yeah. And this song does have that. And then with the lyrics being one step forward, one step back, it sounds kind of like a a dance that two people would do together. Sure. So I'm pretty sure this this song is in waltz form. Mm-hmm. And I liked how the lyrics reflected that too. This this was one of my favorite songs on the album, just in terms of the sound musically. Yeah, good connection. So we've had three songs in a row that are present tense, and then when we move on to track four, we're back to a flashback, and this song is called Thirteen Hours. Is it my fault that you never got home? If we'd taken the train, I guess you would have got home. We're so tired of looking those bags around We hopped in a cab, you were so excited To set out in bed, it was such a long flight Thirteen hours of 
this song, the narrator's reminiscing on the past, probably in his head again at the bar, daydreaming, thinking back to a time that he and Judy were taking a cab home after a long flight. Judy found out he'd left a bad tip. She asked him how much money he left, and it wasn't enough, so she went back to give the cab driver a little more money. And from what I can gather, based on the lyrics, some drunk asshole saying he was so sorry. 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 <laughs> the way they say the, the song. You hear the Canadian accent on this song, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Came screeching around the corner in his car and apparently hit her. She had a broken hand, two bruised ribs, and one hospital gown. Judy says, if you weren't such a cheap bastard, I'd be at home. The narrator replies, I'm not made of money. You should have left it alone. As soon as I say it, Judy looks at me so surprised. Of course, it's your fault that I never got home. Yep. So this one tells you that there were some cracks in the relationship. Sheds a little bit of light on some of the things that might have made it not work. And this was a pretty big one. I like how this song starts with a question from him ends with an answer from her to that same question, and then it has all the story in between. So it starts off with him saying... Oh, I didn't catch that. It, yeah. He says, is it my fault that you never got home? And at the very end, she says, of course it's your fault that I never got <laughs> home. And then all of the stuff that happens yeah. in the middle. You can sympathize with both characters in this song. That's one of the things I thought was really... It's a sure. sign of really good writing because... I think you naturally want to sympathize with the narrator. You're you're seeing the world through his eyes through the entire album. But you also, if you were tired and you were in a fight already with your significant other and the fight led to you almost dying, getting in a bad car accident, you can mm -hmm. see why Judy was having a little trouble with this too. And it just is a good example of how it's really not about who's at fault. It's just the fact that if a relationship's having trouble, it's hard to dig yourself out of that hole sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's just one of those unfortunate events that could have been avoided if either one of them would have made a, a different choice, whether he would have left a bigger tip and she wouldn't have been urged to go back there or had she accepted that he left a tip that wasn't good enough for her but chose to leave it at that, like he was saying. So it's hard when you're the victim or when, when you're the one who ends up on the bad end of an exchange or event like that to not go back and say, well, you know, I only did that because, and put the blame on somebody else and that person, the narrator in this case, to feel a little guilty, but at the same time probably doesn't want to fully take the blame for it because she she chose to go out there and do that on her own will. But definitely if, if you have a, a, a difficult relationship where maybe you're not on good terms, you just spent 13 hours on a flight together, you're probably just ready to go home, put your feet up, and then something like this happens. Right. And at the end of the day, if your relationship was on good terms and by accident some drunk asshole ran into your significant other, you'd be in the hospital just comforting each other and feeling bad for her. Mm -hmm. But because they were in a critical place already, it was the blame game when it really should have been a moment that would bring them together and they'd be consoling one another and getting through it. I just think it's great writing because I think it really shows that wasn't the scenario that was the problem it was it existed before this and this just was a amplification of yeah the issues that they had underlying it because she probably wouldn't have been too blaming if if they were on good terms but it was almost like maybe it was an opportunity to point out something the narrator did wrong and and on the other hand had they been on good terms 
again, the narrator probably wouldn't have snipped back at her and said, well, you could have just left it alone. He probably would have been a little more empathetic and said, yeah, you know, that's unfortunate, just swallowed his pride and been there supportive. But they were both trying to get their shots in there. Right. And definitely featured the clarinet really heavy on that one. And how about that musical breakout, the last 30 seconds, where it kind of sets you up for it and then it breaks out? That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Well, let's move on to the next track. Track five is titled Things I Do. Things I Do is the first single off of this album, and we're stuck in the past once again, away from the present, away from the Neon Skyline bar. And in this song, it's another flashback where the narrator shows up at Judy's house when she was thinking that he was at work, and in his mind, he was going to give her a happy surprise, and he ends up finding out that Judy is cheating on him. Yeah, do we do we really know that she's cheating on him, or is there just another guy in the picture or at her place i mean is he jumping to conclusions thinking the worst or it's a good point we don't have that spelled out for sure i seem to be implied with the lyrics that he shows up and there's some other guy there and she pushes him pushes the narrator away from the guy and the guy is saying hey calm down all of that seems to indicate that something devious was going on between judy and this other guy but it could also be that the narrator is overreacting to something because he's feeling vulnerable in the relationship. I'm led to believe that Judy may have a background of walking around on him a little bit based on another song that's coming up later. But in all fairness, you're right. We don't have that explicitly said in this song. I saw a quote from Andy reflecting on this song where he said, this one is pretty much based on my real life-ish. And the song Judy wants a little bit of time apart. And then Buddy just shows up at the same place, so it's awkward. I've been there before. You walk away wondering why you did that. So having read that made me think that we were supposed to assume that maybe they were spending some time apart or that for that period of time that they weren't exclusive. And instead of giving her that space, he decided he'd go over there and and surprise her and hope that she would receive that well, that she was over there on the other end thinking, even though I asked for this space, sure would be nice if he showed up and came to see me and then he shows up and there's some other guy there. And I think he starts to, to question why he did that and realizes that maybe he is losing her since she's asking for time apart. And then all of a sudden there's this other guy in the picture. So maybe she wasn't being faithful or maybe she's moving on quickly or wants to play the field or test the water somewhere else before she's maybe ready to come back to him or settle down. I think that's a good point, yeah. You know, there was a song earlier where they talked about how she always had her eyes set on the city and he knew that it would end up that way. It almost seems like he was trying to court her more or maybe the one who was falling faster and 
she wasn't quite having it or on the same page. I mean, there's this sense I get of the narrator longing for something more, almost like he's he's accepted it, but then he, he doesn't and he tells himself to keep pursuing it. And throughout the whole album of him reminiscing, and then of course later we find out he runs into her and they rehash some things together. There's There's this turmoil of thinking things could have worked, but then telling himself that that they didn't and there's a reason they didn't and this is why but that I think he really wanted it to work maybe more than she did it could be as a whole the album sounds really chronological I suppose the flashbacks may not be they're they're little vignettes and stories of their past him and Judy and we don't know when this one might have taken place yeah but whenever it did you do get the sense in this song that he's a little bit more desperate than she is Mm-hmm. He's the the repeating chorus and and refrain in this is why do I do the things I do when I know I am losing you, which may be the only one of the only parts in this album where he kind of does rhyme a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but that part where he's saying why do I do I do what I do when I know I'm losing you? I think we can all relate to times where when you're desperate, you try to do a little too much sometimes, and you just make mm-hmm. things worse. Yeah, almost like he's second guessing fighting for something that he knows he's going to lose anyway. Right. But how do you convince yourself to let something go if you if you want it badly enough? That's that's a tough predicament to be in. It is when you know it's gone already and and the best thing to do would be to just hold on to your dignity and let it go. Sometimes that's the hardest time to to do that very thing and then it it doesn't fix anything and on top of that it becomes a bit embarrassing for you. Yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. I like the clarinet again in this one. So a couple songs in a row that feature the clarinet quite a bit. I know that was one of his early instruments that he learned to play Mm -hmm. from his time as a kid in his parents' shop. I like thinking about his influence as a child continuing to influence his music as he's become an adult. I agree. Should we go on to the next song? Yeah, let's take a look at track number six. This one's titled Living Room. Today my son came home from school And he had drawn a picture There he was so tired from work I told him I would have a look In a little while I should have hung it on the fridge for him So in Living Room, we're back to present again. We're back at the bar, and this is where we get introduced to the final character, Claire. Yeah, Claire's a friend of Charlie's, it sounds like, and maybe the narrator knows her as well, but Charlie must know her because he says hi and asks, how's your boy doing? Right, and we get the impression right away that Claire is somebody that's open to sharing things. Yeah, either that or she's already really drunk or something. <laughs> that could be. We don't know when Claire got there, but because later in the album just, she talks about taking a few shots before the night ends. So I that's gather true. maybe she's kind of a wild woman. Could be. And she's got a little boy at home apparently. And yep. so what what seems like a common question you would ask somebody that maybe you weren't necessarily expecting to get a deep answer to. 
says, hey, how's your boy? And she says, well, it's funny you should ask because today I had a really strange experience. She said, I was thinking about when I was a little girl and my father came home from work. I'd drawn this picture for him at school and he said, go show your mother. But that bothered her because she said, well, I'd, I'd drawn it just for him. And something similar happened with her son that day and that he'd drawn a picture and she was just so tired that she said, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it later. Yeah, just put it on the fridge and, or something, right? Yeah, she says, well, I should have hung it on the fridge. Oh, yeah, right. And then she just, she ends the song just saying, I mean, how hard is it to give a shit, right? And yeah. I think I think Charlie and the narrator, as she walks away after the story, just look at each other and go, oh, okay. We Yeah, like that what? That when I said, how's your son <laughs> what? doing? What was that all about? And um, the reason why this is this song is called Living Room is the last line of the song says, we looked at each other wide-eyed like we had accidentally walked into a stranger's living room. So they got a little bit too personal or more personal than they thought they were going yeah, they, to. With they jumped in on a conversation that they weren't supposed to be a part of, but here this lady volunteered all this information. I thought this song was a really interesting little aside with the story, and I was just thinking about... Andy writing 50 songs in, in whatever format he, he got to with all 50, whether, again, they were full-length songs by that point or just ideas for them. But he narrows it down to 11, and one of the songs that he puts on the album here is a song that really has nothing to do with the story. In fact, Claire isn't really central to this story at all. And I found it interesting that he chose to put not only her as a character, but this story specifically in there because it just creates some tapestry to this bar scene, but it, it doesn't shed light on the narrator's relationship with his friend or with Judy or with himself. It's just this really personal story about a side character and her son, and then he just moves right on from there. I found that to be an interesting decision when you're whittling down 50 songs into 11 to include. I'm glad he did, but I was curious your thoughts on why he might have chose to keep this one. I wish I could ask him. Well, I, I think I think it just completes the the night out bar scene experience because she shows mm-hmm. up in a later song too. They end up going out together. This is a little foreshadowing, but once once Judy shows up at the bar and they all decide to go to another place and the narrator's thinking to himself, well, what's going on here? All of a sudden I got my buddy who I just called up to go grab a drink and now some girl that he knows that I know too probably shows up and they're hitting it off and now my ex is here and now we're all hanging out so I think it probably is is some realism thrown in there that that sometimes when you go out especially if it's at a familiar bar or club or in a town you run into some old friends and the night doesn't always go the way you you expect that probably fits into the other theme of him reflecting on the relationship and wrestling with those those personal experience, the ups and downs, but then also that night out at the bar that by the end of this album kind of leaves him, you know, thinking, what, what was that all about? But also giving him some, some clarity sorting through his thoughts, too, and some peace that he can move on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's cool that he chose it. I'm glad he did. I just thought it was a really interesting decision on a 11-song, 34-minute album to have this story that's not related to the main, but I like that it just gives you insight into all these characters. By the end of the album, you kind of feel like you know each one a little Yeah, it's almost like a, a byproduct of the bigger story, which is the relationship, but the bartender's involved. She she sparks some, some memories with the, the clove cigarette, and his friend Charlie is the one who mentions that Judy's in town, and this random lady 
Claire that that shows up, I, I suppose, adds to it. Doesn't have as much of a connection, but maybe it gets him thinking a little bit. And he takes another side story, so to speak, as we get into the next song. This one is, again, present tense. It's a conversation between him and Charlie. This song is called Dust Kids. Charlie asked me if I believe in reincarnation. I say no, but please go on. He says I was reading about these kids. They're like two years old. Recalling their past lives Could you imagine if that was your kid? Rose asks if we want another I say I'll take another life So in Dust Kids, we have a conversation between the narrator and Charlie And right out of the gate, Charlie just says Do you believe in reincarnation? And the narrator says, no, but please go on. Yeah. And then Charlie tells this story about this book he read of these young kids that are recalling their past lives. And he's just saying, man, can you imagine if that was your kid? And then I love how in the middle of them starting this conceptual conversation, Rose asks if they want another, obviously referencing if they want another Yeah. Drink. And he, he says, says, you want another? I'll take another life. <laughs> the narrator says, I'll take another life, which is witty yeah. but kind of cheesy at the same time. And I thought that was yeah. funny because it reminded me of the types of jokes you'd try to make if you were out at a bar with your friends that maybe seem funnier in the moment than they actually are. And there's there's more of those coming up. And musically, the song is a little little trippy, I think, mm-hmm. the way the, the sounds are in the background. Yeah, I like the sound of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. I was reading in an interview that he had mentioned about this song that he ended up at some point down this internet vortex and he ended up buying this book that was about just what they're referencing the song, these kids that could remember their past lives when they were really young. And the kids would point to these old pictures of people and be like, that's me, that's my friend Bob. And then they would look it up and figure out that the people in the picture was actually somebody named Bob. Yeah. And he found that super interesting, Andy did. And so he would bring this up. So in, in this particular instance, Andy wrote a song that, in this case, Charlie is reenacting something that apparently Andy does in real life. He says, every time I started drinking, I would tell everyone about this book, probably really obnoxiously. So I wrote a song about it. And I think it's yeah, really cool. Yeah, I read cool that too. I, yeah. I, uh, I tried finding the, the book that he was maybe referring to i i just did a search for dust kids because i thought maybe there was a book called that or something to that effect but i couldn't find anything be, be interesting to know what he read that sparked this song and in the, in the middle verse he says do they know what happens in between and he says some kids talk of heaven or watching from above i thought that was an interesting line that he says because it reminded me of our conversation we were doing the jason isbell album and that song 24 frames where he was talking about this is how you see yourself floating on the ceiling. Oh yeah. And we were we were talking about sometimes when people have a near death experience they imagine themselves floating on the ceiling and then these kids in this book apparently are saying that they are watching over you from heaven above in between lives. I thought that was an interesting that those conversations that we had prior are coming full circle on this song. Yeah. That's a good connection. He says, if I died and you died too, could we sit up in heaven and choose to live together in their next life, I'm assuming? Yeah, that's what I gathered too. Uh, and it was this line, it says, you, 
They say after you die, you start drifting skyward, and it reminds me of a dream I had. So that drifting skyward actually is the part that was reminding me of the Jason Isbell reference of floating on the ceiling. Yeah, that was kind of a unique song and message to throw into the album, but I like the song. And then at the end, even though there's having this abstract conversation, he talks about a real dream that he had where he was shot in a shopping mall, and he died and started rising just like that, and then he dove headfirst into the ground, and he woke up and he told Judy about it, and she just laughed at him. That seemed to me like an example of a time where something was important or meaningful to him that he wanted to talk about, and she didn't really, she wasn't on the same wavelength as him. She didn't really get it. And so instead of being interested or sympathetic or something, she just thought it was funny. I don't, I don't think that the narrator thought it was funny at the time when he woke up from that dream. Yeah, that could be. I wasn't quite sure. And at the end of the song, he says, maybe hell is coming back as the dust that you sweep off the floor forevermore. So if reincarnation brings you into different bodies, maybe hell would be coming back as dust. Interesting. It was a cool song. I like that they included a discussion between two friends at a bar about reincarnation and kids that are remembering past lives in an album that really is just about some guy pining over an ex-girlfriend. Well, we're ready to move on to track eight. Sure. I think this one's one of my favorites. It's titled The Moon. You absolute too hard. I didn't think it was that funny the first time around. Clear asks if she liked to join. She says they'd be nice. And I don't know what the hell's going on. But soon we're walking the street. Charlie's walking with Claire, and Judy's walking with me. I say I didn't expect to see you. She says, to be honest, I knew exactly where you'd be. And I say, making my way to the moon, and she laughs too soon. Like I said, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. I really like that chorus where he says, we're making our way to the moon and we're taking off soon. Something about that struck me. And musically, it's kind of catchy. From the story's perspective, it's a it's a very important part of the album as well because this is where Judy walks into the bar and she joins the narrator and Charlie and Claire. Yeah, this is a pretty important part for the story. We talked about the last couple songs being asides and I was marveling at the fact that he was able to work in some songs that weren't really part of the main story in such detail but now with the moon he's back to the central story of the narrator and and the ex-girlfriend judy and this is where this is where we actually meet her the references abound prior to this but now she's actually walking through the door yeah and before she comes in the song starts out with and this is this is from charlie he says are you gonna mope all night the narrator says i focus my eyes like I guess he's probably right. And Charlie says, did you drag me off from my couch so we could sit here in silence until we say goodnight? He says, we need to change the scene. Let's go to the bar around the corner where it's always dark. And as we're putting our money down, Claire's asking Charlie if we're hitting the town. And that's where it leads into the chorus. And he says, we're making our way to the moon and we're taking off soon. Yeah. And in the chorus of this one, I was 
immediately aware that oh he's he's rhyming take making our way to the moon right, taking off yeah. soon but as you read back through those lines of the first verse actually there's there's some rhymes in that one too so this song as a whole breaks that theme that we were describing earlier of it just reading more like a book this one does have a little bit of rhyming in it yeah there's a bit more rhyming but it, it's still in that storytelling format where i think that's the focus more so than making a song flow well or sound a certain way musically but i think it's a really big turning point in the night where it seems like Charlie's getting a little fed up at this point. Either that or he's just trying to be an encouraging friend saying, Hey, you know, we, we got together to have fun. We were supposed to we were supposed to be holding a lighter head tonight and here we are talking about all this serious stuff, hashing the past with with the reminiscing on, on Judy. And it sounds like the narrator is getting to be maybe a little bit too much and they're deciding well let's let's change it up let's go try another place let's get a different scene and as they're about to leave in walks judy yeah i got the impression there that charlie was just trying to be the good friend and i i could imagine being in charlie's shoes at this point having your friend that's moping about an ex and you're just like oh man come on let's move on Mm-hmm. And then, like, finally being like, all right, cool, we're moving on. We're going to this other bar. Everybody, let's do it. And then at that yeah. moment, the very girl that your friend <laughs> has been pining about walks in the door. I could see that Charlie's you're trying to like, get him to forget about. Yeah, you're like, like you've oh, got to be kidding me. There Come she on, is. universe. Is this really what you're going to do to me right now? I just, I had him. I just had him. Yeah. I think this song also sheds a little bit of light once again into some of the things that might have been a problem for their relationship. We We talked about... Judy maybe being, you know, somebody that might step out on the narrator, however you want to interpret some of those songs prior, but a lot of allusions to narrator maybe having some issues with alcohol. And on this one, when the narrator says, I didn't expect to see you, and she replies, to be honest, I knew exactly where you'd be. It's one more insight to me into, all right, it's another reference to Judy maybe having some issues with how much time he he spent at the neon skyline. Yeah, either either that or maybe that that line was supposed to tell us that she knew where she could find him and maybe she went looking for him. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, I feel for the narrator though cuz here he is thinking about Judy, probably wishing things could have been different. You can tell he's not totally over her and she's been the one from the stories told in the other songs that maybe always had one foot in one foot out the door not totally committed and here she comes strolling in right at the worst of times probably for for the narrator to try to just move on have a good night have some drinks with his buddy and and not think about it now it gets thrown right in his face and uh, she goes up and and gives charlie a hug at first and won't look at the the narrator her ex in the eye yeah, so it's a bit awkward out of the gate there. And then it becomes a bit more awkward when the narrator tries to reach for her hand and she pulls away and she says, you know, it can't be like that. Yeah. So she's not cutting him much slack on that one either. But then they're walking down the street. Charlie's with Claire. I don't know if if they have a history. It's, it's not really clear, but you could wonder maybe if mm-hmm. Claire was a, was a a former fling or, you know, maybe... The night is sort of escalating here. Charlie and Claire are hanging out, and and Judy pairs up with him, and it's uh, probably a little exciting, but also kind of awkward. 
especially since she already pushed his hand away. So he's probably wanting things to at least be rekindled for the night. Maybe it's it's the alcohol directing his thoughts, or maybe since he's been thinking about her all night, he's, he's thinking, well, you know, she is in town, and maybe I could bring up some of these old issues. Maybe we could get past it. Maybe we could be better. So he's hopeful, and then here she is, and he reaches out, and she already pushes his hand away. So definitely a unique way to start that encounter yet they're still hanging out they're continuing on with the night and uh moving on to another bar i like once again the cheesy little puns and jokes that these friends have amongst each other the the chorus in itself we're making our way to the moon we're taking off soon and i think it's claire that says i'd I'd love to go to the moon but i didn't bring my helmet and yeah the narrator starts to roll his eyes but then realizes that claire catches him doing that and so he's like oh um he's got a spare or uh, i packed you a spare but it doesn't he doesn't quite uh pull that off before she catches his eye roll but it sounds like she doesn't seem to mind too much she re- recognizes that he was kind of making fun of her but she seems to be okay with it but I, I like the idea that they're all friends just making making these jokes and trying to have a good time and then the pace picks up a little bit for the next song the next track is called try again Somewhere between drunkenness and charity She puts her hand on the sleeve of my coat She says I've missed this I say I know I've missed you too She says I was actually talking about your coat She makes me laugh Oh well, she makes me laugh I just let my head sink down and fix some deep sores song was the most immediately catchy song to me when I first heard the album and we've talked about how sometimes the song that grabs you first isn't necessarily the one that you end up liking the most but in this case for me this this probably still ended up being my favorite song both with the sound of it and also the words there's a lot of really interesting wordplay in this song there's some sincerity there's some humor in this song and all in all I think this is my favorite track on the album yeah, the music is really fun too. It's it's hard to listen to this and not get a smile on your face. It's just a, a happy, cool vibe to the sound. It absolutely is. I read that this was the second single on the album after the Things I Do song. Ah. And I love all the times that he talks about the contrast between drunkenness and some other feeling. Yeah, that he's I wrote that down as well. That was really clever. Yeah, so we'll go through each one individually, but just to list them off, he he contrasts somewhere between drunkenness and chivalry, between drunkenness and sincerity, between drunkenness and charity, jealousy and honesty as feelings that he's having throughout the night. Obviously, the drunkenness precedes all of those influences, the way he feels and acts, but recognizing that his actions and feelings aren't completely based on drunkenness, there's all these other feelings that are mixed together to make him act or feel the way that he does yeah so he starts off with chivalry and he says somewhere between drunks and chivalry i hold the door open and let her pass through and then i i love the conversation between the two of them they're they're kind of flirting you know there's there's something left over from the past in their interaction here he's she says thanks to me in a british accent 
And he tries to answer her in the same voice, and then she laughs and says, what was that supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I love the way that Andy responds in that because he responds as the character faking a, a shitty British accent. So yeah, he says, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry I'm from a different part of the country. Yeah. But you can tell it's like a, a terrible British accent that the narrator is trying to relay back to Judy. And I thought, man, that's right. just cool. What cool writing in that yeah, song. It yeah. pulls you in right away. There's another real flirtatious moment in that song that comes up next. She puts her hand on his sleeve and says, oh, I've missed this. He says, I know, I've I've missed you too. And she says, I was talking about the coat. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I love that. And, and the way that he has to fit all of those words into that part too, he says, I was actually talking about the coat. You know, it doesn't really fit perfectly into the meter of the song, but he throws right. all those words in there quickly and it gives that song a a really cool momentum at that point. And again, re- references to me, some a little bit of Paul Simon in the way that he just says, screw yeah. it, I'm going to put all these words in there and make it sound cool. And that in, in doing so, breaking that rule, it's what stands out the most. Yeah. And back to the storyline, it sounds like maybe that was a part of their relationship dynamics because he didn't seem to take offense to that. He said, she makes me laugh. I just let my head sink down and fake some deep sobs, you know, like clearly he, he's he's not too hurt by her saying that it's a it's a mm-hmm. playful response and it's almost a sign of a, affection that it's a bit endearing probably reminds him of the chemistry they had before and in verse two it's between drunkenness and sincerity when he smiles at her for a little bit too long yeah yeah so he he's he's getting a little bit sappy with her at that moment and then she starts making jokes with Charlie again we're back to referencing Charlie drinking the wine again and Charlie's goofing off with Judy at that point saying "Milady, do you come here often and you once again get a little bit of insight into just the relationship of this group and and the way that they mess with each other and joke which makes it feel more real yeah and Andy had a comment about these past two songs the moon and try again that's right in line with our interpretation he said I, I wrote these at the same time referring to track eight, the moon, and track nine, try again. At this point, the narrator's not really having fun at the bar. He's invited his friend Charlie out to have a drink, and he's pretty much just sitting there thinking the whole time. It's kind of a turning point in the album where Judy shows up, and he's hopeful. But he reaches for her hand at the end, and she's like, no, it can't be like that anymore. But then it it seems like throughout this song anyway whether it's genuine or not she seems to to throw a couple bones at him as if if maybe there is a chance you know because she starts getting flirty and and it seems like they're having a good time at least whether that's on a on a friend level or if they're both maybe thinking about the past but they they probably know that it probably didn't work out and can't work out so they you know don't let it go that way right and then the drunkenness and jealousy part in verse four is she starts talking to a friend. And so he says, somewhere between drunkenness and jealousy, I watch her talking to an old friend. And I like, I like the sarcasm in the next line where he says, what a reunion. She recognized, he recognized her from across the room. How many years could there be to catch up on? Yeah. Like, like you gotta be kidding me. How long are these guys going to talk? 
And then the last contrast between drunkenness and honesty, that's my favorite. He says, I make a silent toast to the things that I do and don't miss. And that's when, this is when I was thinking once again that maybe Judy's a little quick to step out on a, another guy, even though this might have been a harmless conversation with an old friend. I think it was reminding the narrator that, oh yeah, this, these interactions she has that always cause me some jealousy or heartache, it's one of the things mm-hmm. I don't miss. Yeah. Um, and he makes this silent toast to, he's starting to, at this point, come to grips with the fact that maybe there's some good reasons that this relationship actually ended. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the drunkenness probably clouds a lot of those thoughts that he's talking about in the song. Yeah. And then just the space, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to, but sometimes when you're looking back and remembering the past, you've got rose colored glasses. And then when that person quite literally walks through the door, maybe you get that pit in your stomach for a second, but then you start to see the cracks and remember like, oh yeah, there was, there was a reason why some of this ended. Yeah. You can almost, you, you can reflect on the memories and paint the picture the way you want, or maybe the way you wanted it to go, especially as you're telling your buddy about it or talking to other people. But then if that person shows up, you know, there's really no getting around it at that point the way you interact kind of says it all gives you those real feelings it kind of reminds you of okay this is this is reality maybe this is the part that i was blocking out as i was trying to be overly optimistic or hopeful when i found out that she was back in town but now that we're together he's allowing those thoughts those issues that maybe led to their separation that he was blocking out or putting in 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 the background come to the foreground and, and now he's starting to see it as well possibly yeah and the next song too is a reminder of that this song is called Fire Truck. A fire truck goes screaming by, and it reminds me of that night when you said that you were coming home. And then I waited up till four in the morning. She says, I remember, and why the fuck? This be a good time to bring that up And I am silent because I'm not sure Sometimes I feel like I should never speak This song has a personal connection to Andy. He said, I wrote this one just because my studio is right by a fire station and every cigarette break I had, there was a fire truck that kept going by. It's a very morbid song. But, you know, bad things that can happen to you can be good for you in a way. They force you to change. I like that. That's really true, too, you know. And this start this song starts off with the narrator reminding Julie of a night that she didn't come home until 4 a.m. when they were together. They hear a fire truck at the beginning of this song going by, and the narrator just takes him back to to that part of their relationship. And so for some reason he thinks that would be a good time to remind her of that. And she says, yeah, I remember that, but... Why the fuck would you bring that up now? Yeah. Strange timing like, to talk about yeah. that. And he's like, um, he says, I'm silent because I don't know. And he says, sometimes I feel like I should never speak again. So I think he's just trying to think of something to talk to her about. It may be awkward hanging out with your ex. And then this fire truck mm-hmm. goes by. It reminds him of something that was a big deal to him in their relationship. And without thinking about it, he, he throws it back at her. And then you don't really know exactly what they're talking about until you get to the second verse. 
and he says that um, he can see these flames shooting high and the family standing outside in the lawn. And you realize that in the midst of the narrator waiting up for Judy to come home, and she doesn't come home, we don't find out until like 4 a.m. that night, there's also a fire going on in their neighborhood. And so he's watching this, and that memory's quite literally burned into his mind as he's also wondering where his girlfriend is and why she's not home yet. But fortunately for the narrator, Judy gets a little distracted before she can get much more angry because her favorite song plays on the radio. And then she grabs his hand and says, hey, let's let's go dance. And so she's at least distracted enough to want to dance with him. And then I thought it was interesting that the chorus was just a musical interlude that's supposed to sound like them dancing. Yeah, it was pretty cool musically. I felt like this almost was a moment that gave him a sense of closure to the night. He had his one last dance, literally and metaphorically, by running into Judy, having a good night, flirting a little bit, joking around, highlighting maybe some of the dynamics of the relationship that were enjoyable, but also throughout this experience, before she shows up when he's just talking to Charlie and thinking to himself at the bar over a couple beers, and then also once she gets there, he sees some of those elements that remind him why it didn't work out, and it seems like that almost gives him some sense of closure. That's what I wrote too. It's kind of a bittersweet ending for him. And, and sure. I love the line on the pre-chorus. He says, now that I'm standing in the ashes, I can't help but sing along. So it felt like he got some closure. At the end of the day, he was like, I'm really, I, I'm really glad that I ran into her. I'm reminded of the things that were great. I'm also reminded of the reason why this is no longer a relationship I want to be in. And so I think that it actually, at the end of the day, helped having Judy come back, even though he was a bit nervous about it when he finds out that she's back in town prior to that. Mm-hmm. And I like the metaphor of the the house burning down that was a troublesome part of their relationship, but now it represents the ashes that they are dancing in and gives him that closure. Yeah. So we're down to one final track. Number 11 is titled Changer. this one too it had a sort of slow reflective sound to it good good for the end of an album but also good for the end of a night out at the bar where you finally part ways with your friends you've come down from that that high that excitement of being out in a crowd of people 
having fun and now you're at home with with yourself and your thoughts and you're reflecting on on the night and that's kind of what the the music gave me the sense of stripping the lyrics away that's that's the feeling uh that i got knowing the rest of the album and the songs and the the story that's been told so far yeah i agree i really like this one i think it's a great end to the album we talked about how all the other songs are really well written but they're also fairly straightforward. You know exactly what he's talking about. It's a story. There's characters. And this one is a little bit more open for interpretation, I thought. He is quoted as saying that this one's a little bit more loose lyrically as well. Yeah, definitely more abstract. But it does seem like the narrator is talking to Judy because in verse 2, it says, I heard you're back in town working at the drugstore. Did you get the city blues? He was referring to her as longing for the city in, in one of the earlier songs and, and that being a part of why they split up. Maybe they were together in this town and she left and now she's back in town. But chronologically, it doesn't really fit in the album because it, it seems like the night has ended and he's he's back home. In fact, there's one line that says, I, I found my way back home. Oh, I'm already bored. Uh, change on, changer. Seems like he's ready ready for a change. I, I got the sense that he's reflecting on the, the night, but perhaps this could be parting ways. Maybe the group split up and, and uh, he had a few final words with Judy before they went their separate ways to end the night. Could be. And, and then that line at the end of verse two, he says, oh, I'm already bored. Yeah. Does make it feel like he's definitely moving on at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. I was just rereading verse one and it, I didn't get it the first time through, I guess, but he's talking about when he first met her. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I didn't get it the first time around either. Yeah, if you didn't notice it then, you won't remember it now. But when I met you with some friends, there was lightning in the sky. I tried to make a joke about angel, angels in a disco and got tongue tied. Yeah. And you all got fed up. So I don't know. It's interesting. At the time, he probably felt embarrassed, but she didn't even remember. Yeah, like Andy said, it's up for interpretation. Could be viewed different ways for different people. A nice little ending to a great album. I'm really glad that I picked this one. Yeah, I thought it was a really fun album as well. I mentioned in our intro album a while ago that I didn't have too much experience listening to many concept albums in the past. Or if I did, I, I probably didn't connect the dots and and realized that that it was a, a true concept album you brought that idea up to me and with field music like we talked earlier the first album that we reviewed all the songs were based on a common theme which made it a concept album by definition but this is probably the first one that i've listened to that really tells a story start to finish that for the most part is chronological with characters that carry over from one song to the next and different events and memories that all flow together from the initiation, what started this night to the end of it, how things culminate and and finish at the end of the night. And I thought that was really cool musically. It's a fun album to listen to if you're not really paying attention to the words or deep into the the lyrics, it would still be a fun album to play in the background, hanging out. If you want something good to listen to, the tune is nice. The music is enjoyable. But if you if you really pay attention to what he's saying and you 
sit down and listen to it start to finish as if you're being told a story. It's it's a totally different experience. I almost looked at those separately or had those experiences separately because the first couple of times I listened to it, I was doing other things instead of diving into the lyrics. I just wanted to get introduced to the sound and, and I really liked it. And then when I found myself preparing for this podcast, it was almost like I tuned out the music and I was zoned in on the story and the characters and, and trying to envision how this night went down. I was picturing what the characters looked like, almost comparable to, to reading a, a novel, uh, a, a fictional story. And that was a fun experience too that I normally wouldn't have listening to music. So I really liked that. And I think it's a, it's a great introduction to the concept album format for anybody who who hasn't uh, experienced that in the past that's that's not really familiar with that um, definitely check this out and listen to it start to finish the way we did me too and I like what you said about that I didn't really think about the fact that sometimes you've got albums that the music really complements the words or makes you think about the words differently and I agree this one those two experiences work very separate. I really enjoyed the music. I really enjoyed the story. And they didn't really overlap too much in the sense that once I understood both the music and the story well, I didn't really have times where I felt like one enhanced the other so much. They were separate experiences that were both enjoyable, but didn't overlap together very much for me. I think it was a great pick. I really enjoyed listening to this album. And like I said earlier, it inspired me to want to go back and check out some of Andy Schaff's other work, uh, especially uh, the album that he released uh, prior to this one titled The Party in 2016, because that was also a concept album. From what I've read, the songs follow the events that happened over the course of a single evening, similar to the experience that we had with this one, The Neon Skyline. So I think that would be fun to go listen to after doing this. Yeah, I listened to it once as I got deeper into this one. I, I decided I want to go back and listen to that one because that's the one that everybody really talks about loving so much. That's the one that really was his breakout album. And it I did like it, and especially the first song on that album, really amazing. The mix is a little bit different. It's His voice is buried a little bit. So to get into the songs on the party, I think you need to have the lyric sheet out and read along with it. Whereas this one, you can choose to tune into the words or tune into the music and you can hear both very well. The party seemed like it was a little bit harder to get that out of the story out of without working a little harder. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do that with some intention, but um, the sound of it is really cool. Awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Well, any final thoughts you have on this album trevor the only other thing i would say is the part of it that i enjoyed with this album is i liked watching some of his live performances and interviews one of the things i was struck by in andy schaff is you get the sense from listening to it that he's got quiet and gentle sound to his voice but when you hear him interviewed it almost makes this album sound like he's speaking boldly because he has just got a very like shy gentle sound and the other one person that i meant to mention as a comparison at times would be nick drake there's a little bit of nick drake okay in here to me that also has that gentle singer songwriter voice but 
yeah, he, it's all, he's almost painfully shy to watch interviewed. And I found that as an interesting aside to pay attention to in researching for this album. Yeah, very cool. All right, Shane, well, I'll talk to you later. And to the rest of you, go listen to some good music. If you're enjoying listening to Album Divers, you can support our podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing it with someone else that appreciates great music. Follow and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Divers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about our take on an album that you already loved or had never heard before. Do you have an album you want us to dive into? Email us at albumdiverspodcast at gmail.com and we'll consider adding it to our queue for a future episode. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you never stop discovering music that moves you to dive deeper. Until next time.